Hi there, podcasters. I'm Andrea Koskai, podcast producer and marketer, and you're tuned into the Behind the Content Podcast, proudly presented by Recast Studio. Get ready for an exciting journey as we delve into captivating conversations with seasoned professionals in the industry, uncovering the secrets to their successful content creation and distribution strategies. We'll explore everything from managing your own podcast to promoting it effectively and implementing top-notch sound engineering practices. The podcast is brought to you by Recast Studio, your go-to AI-powered podcast marketing assistant. With Recast Studio, podcasters like you can effortlessly create marketing materials like eye-catching audiograms, enticing video clips, informative show notes, compelling blog posts, and shareable social media content, all in just a matter of minutes, thanks to the magic of AI. Get ready to boost your podcast promotion and enhance your online presence. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to the show. Today we have N Baird, who is many things, wears many, many hats, uh, but they are in the audio fiction world. They're also doing podcast marketing. They're also a mathematics enthusiast and business enthusiast. So we're going to hear from them today a little bit about how they got into the fiction world and marketing and all that good stuff. So welcome, N. Hi. Yeah, welcome. To me, I guess. Thank you for having me on. Hey. So excited to talk to you. <laughs> I'm realizing I'm usually the one like on the other end of the camera. And I was like, oh no. Oh no. And it just hit me. So no, that was um, perfect. <laughs> that was perfect. And I see you're repping too with Valence with a t shirt. Oh yeah. I've got to wear my Valence shirt. I was I was getting dressed this morning. Like nice. Maybe I'll just wear my own podcast merch, you know. As you should, as you should. <laughs> So, okay, to get started, before we talk about valence and all that good stuff, can you share with us your journey of how you got into podcasting in the first place and what made you get into audio fiction and also co-found Hug House Production? That's a long story because I actually started listening to podcasts with fiction. I think that was like the first things I listened to was Welcome to Night Vale back in like 2012. So early days of podcasting, way early days of fiction podcasting. And I remember, you know, going to panels about it at New York Comic Con. And like, even though that's a big conference, like it was a little thing to have a podcast there. And, you know, events around New York City and just being involved in it on a very low level fan basis. And then I got into college and I was too busy to listen to podcasts. So I stopped listening to podcasts for a few years and then picked up Dungeons and Dragons podcast and started listening to, I think the first one I listened to was one that's actually an Australian podcast called D&D is for Nerds. It's very fun. It's very silly. Low rule following in terms of Dungeons and Dragons podcast. And then got into the Bright Sessions, which is another big fiction podcast. And then eventually at that point, I started branching out into nonfiction which is what I mostly listen to now, even though I make fiction podcasts. So my listening started with fiction, tapered off, picked up fiction again, and then kind of shifted into nonfiction. But through, you know, being involved in the Dungeons and Dragons podcast, I made a lot of friends and we're in Discord servers together and meeting up at, you know, live shows and talking to people and eventually met my co-creator and co-founder of Hug House and Valence, Will Williams, through that. 
And we actually started a tabletop game together. And that's how we became friends and then decided to start Valence based off of our tabletop game. So it was a book before that, and then it became a tabletop game, and now it's a podcast. So it's had so many iterations, but that was really what sparked, you know, getting to work in podcasts and Hug House overall. Yeah, so. I, and I love how you started from being a podcast lover, because something that we talked about on the mm -hmm. show with like other people as well, and something that we say, I think, all the time is podcast oh, creators yeah. don't listen to enough podcasts. So like being a podcast lover in the first place and then creating them helps so much, I'm sure, yeah. in like how you even think of the storytelling and the sound design. So how was okay. your transition as like from a listener to a creator? How was that journey? Easier than most because I don't do writing or sound design. I got the easy part. So I just got to review and read the scripts. I got to help out with the casting and, you know, choosing takes on the audio. And I did some directing for season one and two of the audio. And that was really how I got involved in working in it. And I didn't have to do too much of the nitty gritty work, except like make sure we could pay to make it. Very important, if not one of the most Very important. important. <laughs> yeah. So I really, my approach into working in, in podcasting was also as an audience member. It's like, is this something that I want to listen to? Are you making something? Are we making something that I want to put my name on and be a part of, is it up to my standards of what I would listen to? So really approaching it from a listener audience angle, you know, I think helped us make a better product and, you know, product like it's art, but, you know, you're financing it and you're, you're monetizing it. It's a product now. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the audio fiction world. What, what does it mean for you and the community and because I, I see you and we'll talk about it a lot with so much passion and how mm -hmm. many beautiful people that are there. So for those of us, for those who are listening, who are interested in maybe starting a podcast or, you know, getting into that world, what can you tell them about it? Yeah. It's, it's not called audio drama for no reason. There is a lot of drama. It is like, like the theater kid drama. You get it with, with fiction podcasting. However. Everyone is there because they love the craft and they really love podcasting and fiction podcasting for what it is. The ones I see doing really well are and like having dedicated followings are the ones that are made for audio and they are making a podcast to be a podcast. They're not looking to turn it into a TV show or make it into a movie or do things like that. And a lot of those people don't make any money doing it and pay out of pocket to, you know, pay their actors because they want to pay people what they're worth and they lose money on it. But so it's, it's a industry. It's a, you know, group of people who are passionate about what they do and just really, really love it. So that's kind of where we approached it from when we started Hug House was we were passionate from it. We're like, we're probably not going to make any money doing this. We just want to do it. And because there's more than one of us, it's smart business-wise for ownership to have us under an LLC. What if we split up? What if we do make money at some point? We were trying to think ahead and not get caught up in, you know, years down the line. Will created Valence originally, so they want all the money from it. It's like, well, I'm working on it too. But uh, Right. But what you're saying about, you know, yeah. like 
maybe labeling it as a product or having these like safety measures, quote unquote, in place. It's so important even for sustainability because you started out saying, okay, we're not going to make any money or this is not why we're doing it. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, when you do get the money, it's important for the sustainability of it. And also, secondly, it means mm-hmm. that you stay motivated and, you know, you stay consistent because your ultimate goal is not, you know, making money. It's your actual passion for it. Right. Right. Yeah. If if we make money, great. If we don't, it's not going to ruin how much we care about the the project and making this podcast. We're still going to we're still going to make it. Yeah. I think we said that on all of our crowdfunding campaigns. Like, what are the risks behind it? It's like, well, the risks are we make no money and we pay for it out of pocket. Mm-hmm. It, we're still going to make it. It may just take us a little longer to get the money together to be able to pay the people who are working on the show. Yeah. But we're still here to make this make this art because we believe in it we believe in its impact on other people you know we think we're doing something important and we want other people to be able to hear it no matter what it costs us Mm -hmm. and okay at this stage looking back to when you started and you had all those things in mind how do you feel about like where hug house productions has has come and all the shows that you guys have managed to put out and all of the experience that you got out of it and all the people that you reached We have gotten so many emails and messages and responses over, oh gosh, like the three, three and a half years of like producing Valence specifically. And then our documentary, like side project scoring magic that talks about like us creating Valence, about how much of an impact they've had on people. So scoring magic is us basically being real on audio and talking about like, oh, we did this and it was a bad idea and we really messed up and it screwed up our whole production. And it's still like causing issues for us today. The stuff we did back in season one and we were like, I wish we could redo this. I wish we could do it. There's just no way to go back and fix it at this point. And we just have to live with that and try to move forward with it and do the best we can now. And then... (laughs) With Valence, we've gotten emails from people who say, I am so glad you cover these themes of like family trauma and, you know, depression and, you know, queer issues and stuff that doesn't get brought up in mainstream media that we are able to talk about because we, it's our company and we can do whatever we want and we can, we can make the story. We have all the control and it's going to tell a story that we think is important and and it's made an impact. And, you know, people have said it's like changed their life to listen to it. Yeah, I love that. Talk a little bit more about it, how how it started out or was it intentional from the beginning and how it progressed and how how do you guys like put it into your work now at this point when you're, you know, coming out with new seasons like coming up with new shows how does it like inform your work and your whole prep for the for the final product because a lot of work goes into it right right so creating you know the the back end work of creating like a diverse product or a diverse show what we really want to showcase in our audio drama is that you know it's not all a bunch of straight white guys uh, behind a mic. Po- that's not what podcasting is. It's so much more than that. That's what you see. 
that's the most popular podcasts pretty much everywhere are going to be, you know, two or three guys talking in a microphone. And we're like, we don't, we can't have that. <laughs> that's not who we are. So when we were writing our scripts, we, we took that into account and we wrote characters that were specifically not cishet straight white guys. We were like, we're going to write this character and this guy's bi and this guy's trans and Sarah's black and he's Hispanic and this, you know, like these people are polyamorous and we wrote all of it into, into the script. So it is in the like DNA of these characters. And then when we went forward into casting, we were like, we're not casting somebody to play this Puerto Rican character who is white. We're going to cast somebody who's Puerto Rican. And we did get people responding to the casting call, putting on terribly fake accents. And you can tell. What? And it was, it was terrible. Uh, season one casting call, we had 11 characters that we put in the casting call. We received over 300 auditions. And That's amazing, though. It was it was a lot. Yeah. The 2019 was crazy for podcasting. But we we had to really be thoughtful about who we cast in these roles because we wanted to make sure that our cast showed the diversity of the world that we were creating and that we weren't just putting in the same people that everybody else also casts. So another thing we did was we did blind casting where we had everybody submit through a Google form their audition and all their information, including their name and email address, but a Google form spits out a spreadsheet. So what we did was before anybody submitted everything, we hid the columns that had any personally identifying information from the spreadsheet. So we could still see, you know, like ethnicity, age, who are you auditioning for? Have you been in another podcast? Not which one have you been in? And then, you know, here's your audition audio. And then do you have any accessibility concerns that, you know, you need us to address or any comments we should know before we listen to your audio? Um, so we didn't know going in who some of these people were, even though we got through the casting process and we're like, oh, we know them. I love them. But we didn't realize it till afterwards because we didn't want to show preference to the top names in fiction podcasting. We didn't want to look at a list of audition of people auditioning and go, oh, I know they're good. I'm going to cast them. Yeah, that's so huge. Made it and that's so intentional. Yeah. And I feel like that's what makes really like your show so special because of all the the thought that you put into it that even goes from like the mm -hmm. maybe it seems like little details, but something like that, that's just like a core value of what you guys do. Yeah. And we let the once we had everyone cast, we let the actors read through the scripts. And if they had any thoughts on what their character would or wouldn't do based on, you know, their personality or like. Will and I are white, so we're writing characters who are black and we're like, oh, no, we don't have that lived experience. So we're like, hey, listen, if we write something that you think is wrong or your character would never say that, let us know and we will change it. And we had sensitivity readers for scenes that had protests in them. We hired Tuck Woodstock to give us some feedback on how to, you know, handle protest writing and, you know, what it's like to be in them, especially with everything that happened in, you know, mid-2020. We wanted to make sure we were being conscious of all of that. We had 
one of our trans voice actors review the scripts for scenes that focused on that theme. So we we knew we were trying to very intentionally approach it from we are not of this group of people and we want to make sure that we aren't doing something super insensitive and that everybody can actually feel seen by this. Yeah, I love that. And like you guys are amazing because all of these things, I mean, I've, I've never done audio drama, you know, audio fiction. I haven't done any work in that, but it's so many things that I would have never thought of and that I'm sure, and you can probably attest, a lot of, you know, other people that make audio drama don't think of. <laughs> yes. Right. Yep. So you guys are are so amazing for looking at each one of those elements. And that's one of the things that I was going to ask you more about. So I mean, considering that you guys approach so many topics and you're being so intentional about how you do that, kind of what your process is and how you make sure that you do that. You, you've talked a little bit about it, you know, that you hire, you know, external people to maybe like even fact check or you d mm -hmm. directly ask the cast to like look at the writing. So, yeah, what are some other things that you do along the process, maybe even even as you're writing or as you're, you know, maybe in the final stages of um, production even, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we we try to like triple, quadruple listen to episodes to make sure that they're, you know, the quality we want before they go out. We do transcripts for our fiction podcasts to make sure that the transcripts match not only the exact wording of what is being said, not just like a script where somebody changed a word, it, it will match exactly what is being said in the audio. But we also try to make sure we have audio descriptions of sound effects and music and tone of voice and anything that might not be able to come across in text because we want to make sure that our content is accessible to everyone. And then we post the transcripts both embedded in the page so that on our pages on our website for the episode so that if you, you know, open up the page, it's going to stay downloaded or we allow to... Um, download like a pdf or i think we we upload it as a google doc that's not editable so that if they want to make a copy of it and change the font size or change you know the spacing for you know if somebody wants to change it for their own viewing they can absolutely do that not to mention it's good for your seo to have it on the website because if anybody searches any of the search terms or any words from your episode boosts you up on google pro tip <laughs> seo Yes, yes. <laughs> and that's something that I was going to... Oh, go ahead. No, go for it. I was going to ask about the marketing side of it. Like, do you also, you know, like have specific ways about uh, going about the marketing side of, of the shows that take into consideration, like all the things we talked about so far? Yeah. So a lot of what we did with marketing for the show in early seasons and ongoing, and we're still doing even though the show has wrapped, is we did promo swaps with other fiction podcasts and we do feed drops for other shows all the time just to, to take advantage of, you know, the audience we have or the audience other shows have and kind of share in the share sharing the love for fiction podcasting. I don't see other fiction podcasters as my like competitors i know some people do view it that way especially once you get more corporatized they're like if they're listening to this podcast they're not listening to this podcast like i don't think you understand that's I not how it fiction works podcasts and go, buffet, amazing i'm gonna have all of it 
you know, like I'm going to have a little bit of everything. Thank you. Yeah. And if you're um, confident in your product, too, you're not going to think that, oh, your listeners, if you just tell them about a different podcast, they're never going to listen to yours again, especially because it's fiction, right? Like you're you get involved in the story. Yeah. You're not going to leave. Right. Like I, I watch how many historical fiction shows will I go watch that cover the same exact topics? It's like I've watched seven shows about Anne Boleyn fictionalized in different ways. And I'm still going to watch another one that comes out and be like, oh, here's another one. Like, I, I don't I don't see it as as competing, especially when it comes to fiction. So, yeah, there's no it's um, not about competition. It's about collaboration. And that's one of the most important things yeah. I think that we can like share with people listening if they want to start one or if they have already started and they're working on one independently. Don't even worry about it. Actually make it a part of your marketing strategy and a part of like your just yes. vision about what you're doing. Collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. I will say it a million times. Don't, don't try to do it on your own. Please, you will burn yourself out and you'll drive yourself crazy because it's so much work that people don't realize behind the scenes. Like I'm not the creative brain and Will is not the logistical finance brain. Will doesn't want to look at numbers. So when we come up with a podcast idea, they're like, I'm just going to make it. and I'm going to do this. And I've already created show art and I'm going to start recording. And I'm like, oh, my God, how are we going to pay for this immediately? And what's the production schedule and how is this going to affect everything else you're doing and what is going on? So, you know, you have to have everybody who's working together. Yes, for sure. And even if it's like, you were talking about making podcast friends and everything, like even exchanging ideas with another podcaster, with another creator is so valuable and it's going to add so much to to your work that you will only realize that once you do it. And along yeah. those lines, what I wanted to ask you is how do you find the shows or how do you choose the shows that you want to work with? We don't have to go into the practical part of it, like, you know, where where you find them on, you know, we use that thing, pod chaser, yeah. phonic, all those things. No, more like yeah, which yeah. creators do you go to and how do you choose them? I mean, I usually go to the shows that I like and listen to or something that's in a similar theme to what I what I know my podcast is about. Because those are gonna be, you know, the best audience matches. And because they're not my competition, I know if I send my podcast to another podcast that has a main character who has electricity powers like Liam and Valence. They're not my comp competition. It's just like, oh, yeah, uh, have you seen have you seen the meme or like the it's the comic of the the guy and he's like, how come you get two hot dogs? Have you seen that? No, but I want to see it now. Oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's it's like this old tiny comic. And it's it's like these these two kids talk to each other. It's like, Jimmy, how come you got two hot dogs? It's like, yeah, I've got two. That's how I feel about about like podcasts. I'm like, yeah, I get two of them. They're the same. But but they're different enough and they both have different, you know, different values and they are, you know, they're not the same. Mm -hmm. And I like both. I can like two of similar things. And do you um, feel like so we go for similar shows? Sorry, similar shows. Yeah. Yeah. And what I was going to ask, and I need to find a different way of transitioning questions because I keep saying that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but my question is, are download numbers important? Because I'm thinking of some shows that may be smaller or just starting out or like maybe even medium size. 
is it as important in audio fiction as in other genres of podcasting or is there more like leverage space? So that is the thing that I notice the most between nonfiction and fiction shows or at least even not even nonfiction shows and fiction shows. People who create fiction versus people who only create nonfiction approach promotional stuff so differently like i'll do some i'll just put somebody's episode on my feed because i like their show i don't need anything in return you know i i or i'll just talk about a podcast at the end you know we're putting the episode together it's like i really like this show and we don't have a a promo swap for this one can i can i talk about this show yeah of course go for it and sometimes we don't even tell the other creator we're like we just talked about you here you go we just like your show a lot but with and we do the same approach to our nonfiction shows because we're coming from the we just want to bring everybody up world. You know, I'm not in it for necessarily something in return, but a lot of the bigger companies in fiction podcasting now are because they can do dynamic insertion now and are in it for ad revenue and also have ad slots with big, you know, partners. They are wanting to count downloads more. So whereas with the smaller shows, they're more willing to somebody who gets 500 downloads versus somebody who gets 5,000 downloads. If they're independent, they don't even ask. They don't even ask. We just did a, we just did a campaign for, for a client at Tink for a fiction podcast, and we're getting some promo swaps and some feed drops set up between seasons for him. And none of our pitches included numbers. And none of the hosts, we filled up one feed swap per week. They are for pouring this guy, in, until I heard. The release of this. They're pouring in. It's so much. We're like, we're going to have to tell people no. I don't know what to do. Uh, and none of them have asked about download numbers. They're just saying like, yeah, I'll do mm -hmm. it. No problem. Let's do the swap. Here's my, they, and they send their feed audio. They're like, yeah, okay, here it yeah. is. They don't even ask. They just send it over. That's so, amazing. Because it's about I the love, content, right? I love it. Right. It's about the love of the content and the, the you know, medium. Everyone's like, I love fiction podcasts. I want my listeners to be able to find other shows. So, you know, they, they want more people listening to podcasts because the more people know about fiction podcasts, the more people who listen to fiction podcasts, that brings everybody up. The more there's a higher chance of every fiction podcast being found if it's talked about in mainstream media more. So why wouldn't I be willing to shout out a smaller show if it means somebody's going to listen to this smaller show? And maybe on that smaller show, they'll hear, hear about another one. And then on that other one, maybe they find one that they want to tell their friend about and their friend starts listening to fiction podcasts. So eventually it, I just, it, that's what I love about the community. Yeah, that's beautiful. And like, like you're saying, it's literally about the content, it's about bringing in more listeners. It's about like, it's bigger okay. than you. And I think a lot of people, even in podcasting, they just think about, you know, I'm doing this. I want more listeners. I want that, you know, return on investment. Whereas yeah. it's not about you, especially if you're doing, you know, audio drama. It's, you know, it's a totally like written story by you or by you and a team. It's like so much more than just you. And that also that also is valid for when you're thinking about, you know, when you're worried or you, you're like anxious, are people going to listen to it? Like, you know, you just do your job, like put intention behind it, 
Yeah. Yeah. I would rather have impacted like five people where like the way this story, you know, had an effect on their life is so great. I would rather have five people who really came away with like learning something from this or feeling something and it like is the most important thing to them than having a hundred thousand people listen to it and be like, well, that was a podcast, you know, like I listen to so many shows that my brain turns off and I don't even I don't even hear what they're saying half the time. But some but every once in a while I'll get one. It's like I have to pay so much attention to this because I love everything I'm hearing. And it's also the, you know, the idea of making a podcast because you want to make podcasts, not just make a podcast because you have to or you think you have to. You don't have to make a podcast. You don't have to. You, it's actually people could just not do that. And I find that so much with a lot of the nonfiction stuff is like people feel like they have to make a podcast to talk to their friends. Like you can actually just talk to your friends without recording. Without it. recording it. To... Right. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to do all the other work that goes along it. You could just get on a video call with your friends and like talk about your favorite book for an hour. You don't, mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't have to also record it and edit it and try to market it and try to make money off of it. You could just do things with your friends for fun. Yeah. So considering it started out with like a small team and you just wanting to, you know, do something that mm -hmm. you're passionate about and you got here and you did it with so much attention to detail and so, so much work put into it. I just have so much respect for it and like really applaud you for that. We have, you know, the, the experience with Valence. We're able to help others who are, you know, just starting out or just want to. We can give them like, hey, listen, we've been here. This is what you should probably be doing. Do your own thing. I don't care if you do it your own way, but I'm telling you, we did it that way and it was bad. <laughs> but we also have the resources now to be able to support some smaller creators. Like we brought on last year, we brought on Desperado that's made by Sammy Sweesey and brought him into the network. He had an existing show. We were fans of the show. We had already done promo swaps and feed swaps with the show years before. And he was looking for someone to, you know, host the show. So he was with a network before. And we'd never done any outside shows besides ones that just we had made ourselves. We're like, well, if we're going to take in anybody, it's going to be Sammy, right? It's going to be Sammy. We love Sammy. And Desperado is similar enough in themes to Valence that we could justify, you know, like we could have both of these shows and they're similar. So that makes sense. So we brought on Sammy and... After, you know, that season of Desperado aired, Sammy's like, I actually want to make another show, but I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. I'm like, well, we can help with that, right? We can help with that. So we we ran a crowdfunding campaign. It actually, the crowdfunding camp, the crowdfunding atmosphere right now sucks. It's real bad, especially for fiction. You can look up. I have a, I work with a couple other people and we have a chart where we actually have been keeping track of every fiction podcast crowdfunding campaign for like the last like seven years or something like that. And it's hundreds and hundreds of campaigns. And you can see where like the trends started to be where they're not getting any money anymore and people aren't supporting them. And it kind of aligns with social media going sideways and getting so splintered off. But we still, through our other, you know, work with Hug House, are able to meet, you know, figure out how to still pay for this show. 
So Sammy made the pilot of the new show, Leviathan. I was like, I'd really like to, you know, make more of this, but I can't afford to do it on my own. And we're like, well, we can help you with that. So we were like, how much did the pilot cost you? And, you know, came up with a budget for the remaining season. Realistically, we're like, you have to pay yourself, Sammy. If you're going to pay yourself, how much would you pay? If you're going to pay somebody else, how much would you pay? Think about it that way. That's how much you should pay yourself because a lot of creators will undervalue their own work. So I try to think about it. If you're going to hire somebody else, what would you pay? All right. That's what you're getting paid now. But yeah, what would I pay myself versus when I think of what would I pay someone else is definitely very different. And like people do undervalue themselves so much, especially when they do it with passion. So like being kept on the right track for your own sake is so important. Right. So, I mean, so our crowdfunding campaign for Leviathan didn't raise a lot of money, but because we have other stuff that we do and we have our existing patreon that brings in some money and you know we we work in other spaces in podcasting we have enough money at hug house to be able to pay for a portion of the production of Leviathan. so and we're still looking into other ways to be able to pay for more of it so we we asked you know what would you pay somebody else what did you pay out for voice acting for episode one did the pilot that you made and then we paid Sammy that and it was it was a good chunk of money and, you know, paid him for the work that he did on sound designing and writing the episode for the pilot. We're like, we want you to make sure that you get something out of this, even if it turns into nothing. We want you to make sure you got the money for the pilot. And he was like, you really didn't have to do that. I did it on my own. And we're like, no, no, no. Listen, <laughs> we're paying everybody for their work. We're not going to be unfair about it. Uh-huh. So, you know, we're still hoping to be able to do that with the rest of the season mm-hmm. and with other shows we make going forward. We have some too many irons going on. We've got <laughs> so many things. Will just came up with a new podcast yesterday. Oh, that's, that's okay. the brains I'm working with right now. I want to hear yeah, what it's no, about. There's a new one. After, after this? <laughs> I can't tell you. Yeah, I'll tell you later. And I wanted to ask then, yeah. I mean, are you doing crowdfunding at the moment for, for any show or for any upcoming season? Or Okay. Not right at the moment. Um, we've always got our Patreon running for Hug House. Um, it's hug- patreon.com slash Hug House Pod. Go and subscribe. Um, go and subscribe. <laughs> Listen to us. We put out, you know, early releases of all of our content. We put out some behind the scenes stuff if we have it. We've got a new show hopefully launching in November. But but we keep pushing it off because it's a lot of work and we're not being paid for it. So we're like, it's a, it's for fun. Not fiction, just a just a us hanging out kind of show. Oh, cool! Because they're a little less effort. They're a little less effort for us to do, so we can we can do those and release them, you know, as as we have episodes instead of waiting for a whole season to be done. Yeah, and that sounds um, like a lot of fun, and I'm sure people like would love to get to know you guys more. Hopefully, that's the idea. But it's not just us. We bring in we've we've got other like hosts on the shows because you know we want to make sure that we are showing more diversity than just me and will because we're not so we've got we have elena fernandez collins who's audio dramatic and does all kinds of newsletters and podcast critic and has been in the space for forever they work with us at hug house and then giancarlo herrera works with us too he's part of whimsic productions he has his own shows but he he was luis in season one of valence and also two and three because we kept bringing his character back and he he's great and we love him. So we we're like, we need to do more work with him. So we made something where we could talk to him more. So, okay. 
Awesome. Well, before you go, I'm going to ask you a classic question. Uh, what advice would you give to yourself when you started out that you would also give to other podcasters who are thinking of getting into audio fiction specifically? Basically, but like what one what one thing do I pick? You mm -hmm. know, like if I if I really had to give like one piece of advice. Okay, you can pick three um, if you want. Oh, I can pick three. <laughs> no, I'm going to pick one. I have I think I have a good one. It's don't push yourself and just take your time to really make the show and the content that you want to make. Don't give yourself deadlines that are too tight that you know you're not going to be able to meet. And don't get upset with yourself if you don't meet them. Nobody's going to yell at you. Nobody's going to get mad at you. You can, you can take time. It's okay. It's creative. There's no time limit on creativity. So just... Uh, you know, and enjoy the process. Don't force it. If you're not enjoying it, then why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. Because there's not a lot of money in fiction podcasting. Everybody knows that. So if there's not money in it, it got to be the enjoyment. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> so, so make sure you're having fun while you're doing it. Because if not, what's the point? Yeah. And I think doing it with other people is like a big part of what made it so fun for Hug House. And like that yeah. didn't only show for your experience, but also for listeners. Right. Yeah, that's that's the whole reason why we enjoyed it is because it was friends working together to make this show and to create something that we believed in and we love and other people, you know, ended up loving, too. And that was a great, you know, after effect that we weren't sure would happen, but. We are grateful it did, and we're excited for, you know, everything else that we've got coming up. Nice. Thank you so much, Anne. And, okay, before we go, just let our listeners know where they can find you and where they can find Hug House and where they can support you guys in which ways. Yeah. You can find, you can find Hug House at hughouse.productions is our website. And honestly, social media, we're not really anywhere anymore, except sometimes on uh, Tumblr. Because it's the only place that isn't aggressive towards towards creators and the world, so we're, we're we don't really post on Facebook and we don't post on Twitter at all anymore. Sorry, X, Fair. we don't post on it. So, and I'm not big on Instagram, so I'm not there. So you can find me on Hug House's shows. Yes, and I'm sure you want to hang out with Anne after this interview. Oh yeah, Anne is lovely, for sure, right? <laughs> Thank you so much, Anne. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Behind the Content Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Koskai, podcast producer and marketer, and I hope you've enjoyed our deep dive into the world of podcasting. Let's connect on Twitter. You can find me at Andrea Koskai. And remember, this show is brought to you by Recast Studio, your ultimate AI-powered podcast marketing assistant. You can start using the studio right now at recast.studio. If you found value in today's episode and want to explore more insights from industry professionals, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and stay tuned for upcoming episodes. See you in the next one.